Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Lenten journey through this idea of some things that Christians should stop doing that we should seal in the tomb not to resurrect on Easter. We're going to talk today about something that you might have experienced or you might have heard other Christians engaging in. And the purpose of exploring these things is not to condemn ourselves or condemn anyone else, but it is to illuminate where we can stand to grow and get better as individual Christians as well as this body of Christ because our job is to introduce Jesus to others that they could experience him, his grace, and his love in what we say and what we do and how we choose to be present in the world. And for us to adopt or inherit practices that are contrary to that message being lived out is only an impediment to ourselves. And sometimes we have to take a critical look at what we do. And so today we're going to talk about churches being in competition with other churches which for some of you is a radical idea, right? Who ever heard of churches competing with other churches? But the fact is that oftentimes Christianity is kind of painted as a bunch of different churches kind of warring with each other, right? Trying to see who will be the supreme Christian, who will come out on top. And that is not what we are supposed to be. One of the glorious things about Christianity is that it is actually kind of an umbrella religion. And underneath that umbrella that is about the lordship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the salvation that we get from our Messiah is that there are all kinds of different expressions of that faith, that understanding. You have a long spectrum of different ways of living out that truth and taking it and using it to empower not only worship, but how... Different congregations engage in the world in mission and ministry, and the way we choose to show ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ. And there are a multitude. Back when I was in seminary in the, in the mid-2000s, one of the things that we talked about is that there are over 64,000 denominations in Christianity. That's probably a conservative number. Because some churches, individual congregations, are actually denominations in and of themselves. And so you have this incredible multiplicity of understanding themselves as Christ, understanding who we are as Christ. And this is a shocker to some of us. Not all Methodists agree on what is going on here. We know that we're here for Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ is here for us. But how we work out our individualized expressions of faith and how we do that as individual bodies of Christ or local churches can look very diverse. I mean, my last church didn't look like this one, but it was United Methodist, and we did preach and teach and live out the love of Jesus Christ. So what is about this divergence? What is it that makes us feel like there's some level of competition? Well, competition is very biblically based. I mean, there are certainly a number of people who are competing in the Bible, 
right? You've got competition between siblings all throughout the Old Testament. You even have competition among the apostles. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were real interested in making sure that they were the ones that were going to get the, the seats closest to Jesus in the kingdom to come. Can we be on your right and your left? It doesn't matter which one of us, but we just want to flank you like a pair of bookends. Can you promise us, Jesus, that that will happen? And of course, the other apostles are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We haven't talked about this. This is not where we're going yet. We were waiting to do that. You know, it's like divvying up somebody's estate before they're dead. A little rude. And so the apostles were kind of in this state of they thought they were competing with each other. What they didn't realize is that Jesus was setting them up to not compete with one another. Jesus wanted a different understanding of Christianity. They weren't all going to be exactly the same. They seemed to have missed that lesson when God allowed there to be 12 tribes of Israel. Not just one, 12. And they were different. They had different blessings. They had different struggles. And they embodied their different children of Israel differently. And that was a good and joyful thing. Because each one had its own gifts and graces to bestow upon the world. And so would the 12 apostles. Jesus didn't just pick one. Jesus had an abundance of them, 12. And then when Jesus wanted them to go out and try to enact and live out their faith, Jesus sent them out in pairs. Because they were stronger together than they were as individuals. And so Jesus began to set up a system where churches would have their own uniqueness, but their connection, connection would be to Christ. That's where we all come together. So we're not in competition with each other. It's not like James and John get back from their mission field and they start talking to Peter and Andrew and they're like, so what did you do? Oh, you don't sound as good as us. Wait till Jesus hears about this. That is not how that worked. And that's not what Jesus would want. Jesus wasn't setting up a bracket system where all the apostles are competing against each other until we have a super apostle who reigns supreme for the next year. That is not what is happening in the scriptures. But Jesus wanted us to find a way to be inspired by one another. The semi-problematic word in today's scripture was provoke each other, right? To kind of edge each other on, to try to make us see that we can do things differently. Because sometimes you get up and you think to yourself, this is how I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it this way. This is what sounds reasonable to me. I've thought it through. This is it. It feels right to me. And I think this is, this is how we're going to do it. And then you figure out how somebody else does it. And you're like, you know what? That was better. I'm going to do it their way. You can try to do it your way or you can try to do it their way. Or maybe the two of you will be inspired to bring yours together and do it an even better way entirely. And when we think about the different denominations within Christendom. Now, usually people like to go with the two extremes, right, on our, our theological and liturgical scale. You've got the Roman Catholic Church on one end, and you've got the Baptist streams on the other. And they are very different, but they are no less passionate about Jesus Christ. They are both equally passionate. And when I was growing up, one of my best friends was Roman Catholic, and my grandfather was a deacon in the Southern Baptist Church. Very different ends of Christianity. Very different ends. And so imagine that on one weekend I could go to Mass with my friends to a Roman Catholic Mass and see all of the pomp and the circumstance of the Old Testament lived out live in a Roman Catholic Mass. And then the next weekend we could travel down to Deep Creek, Chesapeake and go to Brent Lock Southern Baptist Church and that was the entire other side of the coin. <laughs> right? Entirely different. But they both had incredible gifts. 
They both made beautiful offerings to the world. They're both just as imperfect as we are. But they have found ways to show the world Christ in their particular language. Now, I am not good at languages. You're lucky I can speak English. I have tried my entire life to be bilingual. I have tried so hard to learn another language. I have had so much collegiate level Spanish that it is an absolute travesty that all I can do is order off a menu and ask where the bathroom is. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely horrible. And then when I got to seminary, I was so ready. I was going to learn Hebrew. I signed up for it, and my teacher was like, I can tell that you're trying. You need to drop this before you get an F. Drop it. It's not working. And I, that's just my Achilles heel. I cannot learn another language. So I am in awe of people who can. Like my friends from Europe that speak three, four, five languages. Mind-blowing. To be able to conceptualize thought and speak it in another language and then to be able to go back and forth, I just, I'm in awe of that. I can't do that. Sometimes it's hard enough to conceptualize English and speak it. And yet I have friends that can go back and forth in many different languages and they're not all tied together. It's not like these are all romance languages. Sometimes they have completely different systems of languages that they can speak. And churches are the same way. Now, this plethora of denominations really owes its existence to the United States. This is a place where people came as Christians and found that their unique flavor, their unique way of living out their understanding of who Christ is calling them to be, could flourish. Because up until the United States, you really only had one of two options if you were of European descent. You were going to be Roman Catholic or you were going to be Anglican, which is kind of Roman Catholic without the Pope. So you didn't really have a lot of choice. And neither of those two denominations were particularly ecstatic about receiving critique at that time. They became more amenable to it later. And they were not really excited about having other options, right? You're Catholic or you're Anglican. Have your pick. And if you're going to live in England, you might want to go with Anglican. Those were kind of where they were. But people started to think about their faith differently. They started to feel differently about their faith in Jesus Christ. And so they started to conceptualize and imagine new expressions of their Christianity. And what you find is that a lot of those people tried to live it out in Europe. They tried to live it out within the British Empire, but it wasn't well received. But then they heard of this place where you could go and you could start new. And it's quite possible that there could be a place for people who don't think of themselves solely as Roman Catholic or Anglican. And they came here and they thrived. You have incredible diversity within Christianity in the first colonies on the East Coast. You certainly have Anglicans, but it didn't take very long for the American Revolution to bring about new expressions like Episcopalians and a people called Methodists. We ourselves are here because the American Revolution compelled an Anglican priest to do something he never wanted to do, which was to ordain two people to come over here and make sure that we had access to the sacraments. And because of that, we are here as one more expression of God's grace, one more unique Wesleyan articulation 
of how prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying God's grace can be. And that's a beautiful gift to have. Every single denomination has gifts. We all have our problems, but we all have our blessings. The Roman Catholic Church, as we kind of delved into in our previous worship series of Inspiring Saints, was able to not only bring about and raise up incredible Christians that were inspiring, but then they formulated a system that allowed us to continue to have access to those inspiring lives and acts and faith. So that even now, Christians can look at people like St. Francis of Assisi and be inspired to be a better Christian. Could you imagine if the Catholic Church were like, he's doing things a little differently, let's squash him. We don't want him around because he's doing things entirely differently. Once he got over the nudity piece, he was better off. But what we ended up finding was that the church had made space for a certain amount of liberty. The Catholic Church made a little bit of space for that. And the idea that we weren't all in competition was revealed in that Francis of Assisi inspired Claire of Assisi. And Claire looked at Francis and said, well, why should the guys get all the fun? Why can't we women have an opportunity to live out our faith in a monastic community? And the church, instead of going, no, that's too different, the church said, okay, let's work through this. And so you had different orders that sprung up that spoke to people. And the Southern Baptist tradition, that it was one of the largest Baptist denominations within the stream of Baptist thought, got its beginning here in the United States. And while there's certainly some things that I wouldn't theologically and doctrinally and sacramentally agree with in the Baptist church, I have to respect how they have been so good at ensuring that people at the local congregational level recognize the power and the authority that is vested in them by Jesus Christ. They have kind of eliminated a hierarchy which has enabled some to find joy in service, but has also been a barrier that has to be constantly worked through in other denominations. They have made it all about the local church and its local context. And because of that, they are deeply grounded and ingrained in their context and their culture. And they are able to meet the needs of the people right there. There is something wonderful about every Christian denomination. Every single one has preserved aspects of the beginning community. Sometimes we tie it only to a person. Even Lutheranism, which of course is tied to Martin Luther, an incredible person whose spirit and whose passion for Christians allowed him to write a list of 95 things that he thought the Roman Catholic Church, his church, could do better. And in writing those things, he had the chutzpah to put it up on the doors of his church and tell people, this is how we can be better. All of us have an opportunity to get better. And that spirit has really found a place, a home, and a people in the United States. All of these denominations are places in which unique perceptions, conceptions, and ways of living in the world as Christians were valued. We are not in competition with each other, and that's hard because as Americans in this culture, we have a culture of competition, do we not? Do we not love to have our team or our champion that we want to 
commend and see triumph over their opponents. But the problem with competition on a Christian level is that sometimes this is where human sin creeps in and creates a situation that is antithetical to who we are called to be. Every local congregation or local church, if you like, is in itself a body of Christ. And then across the globe and over the ages, we are the body of Christ that is a living, breathing community. And because of that, we have to value the same personhood that we would in individual disciples as we would in denominations. At no point did Jesus say to his 12, I need you to be the best that you can be because we're going to have a Super Bowl later between the Buddha and his disciples who have already got a good 400 years on us over in East Asia. That is not how Jesus approached our reason for being. He saw our reason as an opportunity to bring our unique gifts and graces and address our unique context in a way that allowed grace to be heard, seen, and experienced. And if we can do that, then we are all the more successful. But if we come bogged down in the idea that we've got to do it better than the Baptists, or here's how the Presbyterians are doing it, let's do it better than them, we're missing the point. The point for us is to be the best that we can be. And if we can be inspired by somebody else, then that's wonderful. And if we can notice, you know what? We could never really figure out how to do that, but God loved them, they did. Let's focus on what we do well and not feel like we have to poach other people. There has been a time in Christianity, especially in America, where it became focused on getting people who are already Christian to come to your church. Like, let's get those people. We are not building the kingdom. We're simply transferring data from one church to the other. We're simply robbing Peter to literally pay Paul. We are called to be a people that are constantly helping others find their place. Find their place in the world with an identity that is centered around being a child of God. Find their place in the church where they can be accepted and loved and embraced and uplifted and finding their place in God's heart, which is getting harder and harder for certain generations to even comprehend that there is a God who loves me. And the church's job is to live that out in such a way that people can hear it, that people can see it, that people can experience it and go, maybe that is true, maybe. Because maybe is a door that is opening. Maybe is an opportunity for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to sneak in there and change hearts and minds. But if we become obsessed with the idea that we have to be better or beat other denominations and other local churches, then what eventually happens is that sin creeps in. And they're not just now our opponents. They're not just our competition. They become our enemy. And if you have ever heard Christians talk about other Christians as their enemies, then you know that that is not of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not speak about enemies, even though he had some. 
You'll notice that his ministry is recorded in four entirely different gospel accounts. Continually means that Jesus makes himself available for all people, any and all who desire, to come and see him. But he doesn't condemn them when they do. When they come, he gives them grace. He answers their questions. Sometimes he will give them the gifts of miracles, the healing and the feeding that will come from those things. But he didn't come to condemn them. He came to heal. And because of that, when they come to him, many of them did come to condemn him. They were looking for just enough reason to condemn him. And he continually and continuously responds to that with forgiveness and grace. Instead of getting caught up in the worldliness of being the best, we are called to be our best. And competition is something that some people naturally feel. I have learned a lot about competition in my time with the Reynolds Leadership Program and in some of the other incredible systems I've had a chance to do as continuing education because I am not competitive. I, that may seem hard to believe. I have had people that said, I don't understand that. I am a perfectionist, but only for me. It doesn't matter to me what your house looks like. It only matters what my house looks like. It doesn't matter to me how clean your desk is. It only matters how clean my desk is. It's about me being the best me. And so to the competition piece, I don't get. I am the worst person to take to a game with two teams or two individuals competing. I'm the person that's like, I hope they both have fun. <laughs> when do we get to eat Dippin' Dots out of a batting helmet? That's me. I am not the person that's like, get them, tear them up. I don't understand that. I'm more excited about, look at all these people. Let's have a good time. And so for me, I have to wrestle with the idea of competition. It's not something that is innate to my personality. I don't understand that. What is innate to my personality is that I know that God has given me tasks, a call, and gifts. And because of that, I need to use them to the best of my ability. I need to be the best me that I can be for the sake of the gospel. And that's the attitude that marks my ministry. That's the attitude that we bring to our planning of our worship. That's the attitude that I hope that we have as a church, that we're not here to beat the Presbyterians. We're not here to beat the Catholics. We are here to be the very best United Methodist that we can be. And if people hear Jesus Christ better in a Catholic tongue, if they experience it more fully in an Episcopalian tongue, then God love you. Because at least we know you have a home in Jesus Christ. It's the people that have no home, no connection, no community, no family of faith that we are called to serve, to speak to, and to engage. Those are the people that Christ has sent us to. You'll notice that where Christianity really expanded and grew and multiplied in the, in the New Testament is not so much in the gospel accounts where they're spending all their time talking to their own people. It really happens when you get to the book of Acts, and especially with that new apostle Paul, and they go out into the world of the Gentiles, and they start telling people things that they have never heard before. There is one true God who created me, who is redeeming me, and who will sustain me and bring me into a kingdom where we can be together with this God for all time. 
That was a radical concept that the disciples and the apostles of the first incarnation of Christianity took out into the world. It fell flat on people who were Jewish and said, I already have a covenant with God. What are, you, what are you doing here? You're making things more complicated. Stop that. But when you go to people who haven't understood what a covenant is, they don't understand that a covenant is an eternal relationship that God initiates and that God will literally move heaven and earth so that it is not broken. That speaks volumes. And that's what churches are called to do, to preach the good news using words only when necessary as St. Francis of Assisi would say. So we are not in competition with each other. But if we see something that is inspiring to us or something that is working, then yes, it is appropriate to say, oh my goodness, there has been a trend recently within the last decade to use the word liberation, liberation theology. Liberation theology is now being used a lot by Protestant denominations, meaning not Catholic, Protestant denominations and the reality is that we have been inspired by Latinx people who were Roman Catholic. That's where that came from. We didn't invent it. It's not ours. We heard it and we experienced it and we have seen them use it to transform institutions and systems of power in their countries in Central and South America. And we are inspired by that. But the good and right and joyful thing would be to give credit where credit is due that if Protestant denominations are going to start using liberation theology, we need to make sure that we give our gratitude to those who embodied it first. So for us to see others and be provoked to be better is a biblical thing. For us to experience people doing ministry well and to go, we need to step up our game, that is a good and rightful thing. But to see somebody and say, you know what? We need to start talking about them in such a way that nobody will want to go there. That is not of Jesus Christ. And it's not about competition. At our worst, Methodists thought that we were in competition with other churches that were Methodist. That was one of the darkest parts of our history, where we thought that, that the job was to get all the Methodists in town to come to this church by disparaging the other. And that is not what we were created to be. The Wesleyan concept of Methodism was that every church had its own expression, and that we were connected by our willingness to be graceful to one another. That if this church over here calls our church and says, we really need this and we have it, then because we are connected, we freely give it. Not with interest, not with a bill of receipt, but instead because we are connected through Jesus Christ and grace. And that one day, when our time of need comes, perhaps there's a Methodist church over here who, by the grace of God, will have what we need. And because we are connected, they will freely and joyfully share it with us. That is the difference between competition and connection. And we are called to be connected. We are called to look at other denominations and other Christians and see the glory of God in them, even if that's not our way our words. Instead, thank God that if somebody speaks that language, if that is the only language in which they can hear God Almighty, then thanks be to God that that church is there to speak Jesus Christ to them. And what might we learn about how we speak of Jesus Christ from others? 
it's not about competition. It's about looking at ourselves and being challenged to be better. How can we do this better? What is it that God has given to us that we need to share with the world that perhaps is uniquely United Methodist or perhaps is uniquely Crozet United Methodist? But above all, what has God given to us that is uniquely us as a disciple? And how do we share that? When we change our mindset and how we approach other Christians and other denominations, then it changes how we talk about them. It changes how we feel about them. And by the grace of God, may it change how we act toward them. Because if you've ever been in a situation where you start talking to someone and then you find out that they're not you, they're not United Methodist or they're not Wesleyan, and you start to notice that there's some unspoken tension developing, that is not of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ invites us to constantly look at tension as an opportunity to connect, not to break apart. So may we embody that more than we do what in other situations is probably a healthy and a joyful thing. Competition is not of the devil. Competition is not a bad thing. But when you push the bounds of competition so that you start to vilify or make the, op the other part of the competitor your enemy, that's when we have problems. But there are probably 100,000 denominations of Christianity, 100,000 different voices and experiences and contexts and devoted bodies of Christ in this world. Some of us think that we should boil that down to maybe one. But some of us look at that and go, what a glorious thing that God has given the world. So many different voices. Maybe instead of competition, we start looking at the entirety of Christianity as a choir. And everyone sings a different note and a different voice, and the Holy Spirit turns that from a joyful noise into a glorious anthem about Jesus Christ. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.